Welcome back, episode 20 here of Scarlet Fever. Grant Hansen and Landon Wirt, and you can find Landon on Twitter at L-A-N-D-O-N-W-I-R-T. For me, it's at Hansen15 underscore Hansen, H-A-S-E-N 15 underscore Hansen. And, well, uh, we got a lot to talk about. As usual, I was trying to think on the way over here if there was a time this year in the past 20 episodes or so that we've done if, you know, there was not a lot to talk about. And no, no, there's always (laughs) been a lot to talk about. And so we've got plenty coming your way today. So excited to get into that uh, with Landon. Again, remember, this is a DN podcast. So follow at DailyNEB on Twitter and at DN Sports for all the sporting news uh, from the students who live on campus and live at every single day. You can also go to the website, dailynebraskan.com. And so, Landon, we're going to begin uh, as we usually do. The best thing we saw this week. Mine is going to be a little bit less, like usually we're shooting for positive here, positive, encouraging. Mine is definitely not. Yeah. Um, But it's a really, really quality work. So we'll get into that. But uh, Landon, you're first. Yeah. uh, So the United States men's national team is going to the World Cup. That's very exciting. Uh, I've been spending the last um, few weeks when I have afternoons in the office, afternoons before I go into work, just having, you know, World Cup qualifying matches on from around the country. Uh, Sunday night, the United States dispatched Panama 5-1 to in Orlando. Um, as long as they do not lose by six or more goals tonight, which is extremely, extremely unlikely, Never know. Um, the United States is going to go to the World Cup, which is great. Um, it's going to be the World Cup is a better place with the United States in it uh, after that disastrous um, calamity that um, concluded in 2017 with the United States not qualifying for the World Cup. So uh, tonight's as we record this on Wednesday night, tonight are the last round of games. Uh, the United States should be in. And then the draw for the Qatar 2022 World Cup is on Friday. So it's on Qatar. Oh, yeah. Uh, if really? You, if you don't know a ton, uh, what I'm about to say may shock you. So this World Cup is going to be happening in November. Uh, yeah, because it is so hot in Qatar that, like, summer is just out of the, completely out of the question because it is too ridiculously hot. So this 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 World Cup is going to be played in November during the heart of of football season basically. It's basically the I mean November's like arguably October I think is the best sports month. November is really close. Well, November is about to be super congested because the tournament starts on November 21st. Okay. Uh and it's going to run through or the final is on December 18th. So it's basically going to run over Thanksgiving and then probably through finals week and then into to winter break. Um it's super interesting because like these ga- the game times at least here centrally are going to be like 4 a.m., 6 a.m., 9 a.m., 1 p.m., so really early. Uh, It's going to be a really fascinating, you know, tournament with it being right in the middle of everything, both, you know, like in America, like American sports, college football season, NFL, college basketball starting, like baseball. Uh, Baseball will be over by the Pro ball. Uh, But, yeah. Pro uh, basketball. Pro basketball, too. Right. Um, And then internationally, it's like right during the middle of all these, like, bigger leagues club seasons uh like in england italy spain germany so it's going to be a really interesting tournament uh but i'm really looking forward to the united states um playing part uh and i love the world cup i love soccer so it's going to be very fun uh waking up at i mean and 
heck, I was up at, at 6 a.m. for the games that I didn't even care about uh, in Russia. So uh, I'm excited to have a purpose for those early wake-up calls this uh, in this this fall slash winter. Well, for me, uh, I'm going to start with a number of different things before I actually get into the best thing. Because like I said earlier, mine is not exactly the most feel-good. Um, so here are some things that are not... <laughs> Not my best thing this week. Uh, Will Smith slapping Chris Rock. Oh, that God. was too easy. I couldn't go with that one. <laughs> Definitely worth talking about. Kind of weird. Kind of the first time I've cared about the Oscars in recent years. Um, and care, I don't know if they, even that's the right word. So, not that. Uh, not Michigan hitting four straight home runs against Nebraska on Friday. Oh, yeah. That was wild. And then the fact that Nebraska then managed to win that game. Uh, and lost the other ones for baseball. That was weird on Friday night. And then the other thing that it's not is Unforgiven. Uh, it, it, that it's a '90s western. Um, Clint Eastwood. I watched it this last week through HBO Max, and, and I believe it won an Academy Award for something in the '90s. And I got through the end of that thing, and I was like, "Why did I do this? This is a horrible waste of time." <laughs> like. Um, yeah, there's like there's no good moral story. The characters are all like kind of annoying. <laughs> uh, so zero, close to a zero out of ten for me. Do not recommend. Now maybe somebody thinks differently, but Unforgiven, HBO Max, E, not not the greatest. Uh, all right, so here it is. So I think a lot of people remember from back earlier this year, or rather earlier last year. Uh, the whole Henry Ruggs situation. Raiders wide receiver, he drives 127 miles an hour into a stranger's car in Vegas and ultimately uh, takes uh, that late young lady's life. And I believe her dog as well. Uh, and it was just an incredibly, incredibly tragic and sad story. And uh, Ruggs is, was released subsequently. <clears throat> I believe he will be serving a decent amount of time in prison. Um, but, uh, this is a really good piece on another side of that story from SI.com. You can go find that there. The headline is, this whole thing has me effed up. Yeah. <laughs> so, <clears throat> uh, but it's about, uh, Tony Rodriguez, who's got a very troubled backstory of his own. Uh, and he was basically went to try to save, uh, Tina Tinter, uh, is her name. And he, he tried to get her out of the burning vehicle after Ruggs had hit her, and he wasn't able to save her. Um, and so it's a really, really good story from Jeff Perlman over there at SI.com. Go read it. Uh, it was a really, really well done piece of journalism. That's why I had to say it's, it isn't the most positive thing that I've seen this week by any means. But in terms of craftsmanship, uh, in terms of telling that story, he did a really good job. And, and so... Uh, that is that receives the grant endorsement for the week. Yeah, I actually read the piece last night uh, amidst editing. Uh, it was really well done. I mean, it's a brilliant story. I can't imagine that any part of it was easy to write at all because, I mean, saying that this Tony Rodriguez has a troubled past and current life is kind of putting things lightly. Right. Um it's it's a really you know it's a story of a really really troubled guy that is obviously still you know coming to grips with the fact that he wasn't able to save this woman's life uh which is you know 
admirable in the sense that, you know, it wasn't even something that he caused, uh, and yet he still feels this remorse. So it's a very great human story. Um, and yeah, it, it's really well done. Uh, that's that's really all I can say about it. It was just a brilliant piece of journalism for sure. Yeah, Perlman said it was hard to write. Uh, his tweet earlier today, which is where I saw this piece, um, actually it was yesterday, says, uh, that was an incredibly hard story for me, basically. And so he went looking to talk about this story of Henry Ruggs and, and the tragic um, mistake that he made uh, that cost Tina Tinter her life. And instead, he, he found Tony Rodriguez. And so he found this different angle of the story that he hadn't been expecting when he went in. And so yeah. it was an incredibly hard story. It's probably pretty hard to read. Uh, all the way through, it depends, I'm sure, on multiple people, um, you know, what your tolerance is for the, this sort of thing. It's definitely very, very heavy, but it's very, very well done. Um, and so, again, uh, this whole thing has effed me up. So I think I, said it, I think I said it differently the first time. The headline is, this whole thing has effed me up. Uh, it's over there on SI.com, and uh, it's a really good story. So go read that uh, if you have... Well, basically the stomach, the stomach for it or the heart for it. Yeah. Uh, so we'll switch gears and move into Husker Sports Talk and kind of move off that heavier topic here. But let's move to a new segment. And I told I didn't tell Land I didn't tell Landon what this was about entirely beforehand. But we've got it, this is addition and departure season. You know, it's transfer portal. It's COVID six year seniors. There's a lot going on right now at Nebraska nationwide. Uh, and this will, of course, just focus on Nebraska, but it's time for a sort of new segment. We'll see how recurring it is. We've about, got about four weeks left in the semester, but uh, it's called Additions and Departures. It's, it's not that complex, and so we're going to go through each one of these, talk through them uh, really across basically every level of, of Nebraska athletics, uh, and so we'll begin with Husker men's basketball, who had two uh, additions and departures this week. I believe we touched on Eduardo Andre last week. That's probably the most recent departure. Keon Edwards also in the transfer portal. Uh, but this week, two big returners announced, and we'll begin with the lesser, I think, of the two, but still a very valuable piece of this. Coaching staff, Armin Gates uh, for Nebraska. He is returning. He will stay on staff. He will not join his brother at Missouri. And so there's only one spot left to fill on that coaching ranks uh, for Fred Hoiberg. Yeah, um, I was, I mean, it seems like, you know, Armin is a very valuable piece of, of Fred Hoiberg's staff. And you'd like to imagine after, you know, losing someone like Matt Abdelmacy, who's like the top recruiter, um, and Doc Sadler, you want to keep as many of the familiar faces on the coaching staff in place with the recruiting cl- class you're bringing in. Um, you've seen guys like Blaze Keita and um, Romel Lloyd reaffirm their commitments to the Nebraska men's basketball program. And a big part of that, I think, is that reassurance that you know the coaching staff that you made these connections with and formed bonds with during the recruiting process are still going to be in place. So I think it's very important that um, Nebraska is bringing Armin back. I know that pull to coach with his brother is really strong, and he, you know, during his introductory press conference at Missouri, he hinted at it. So that might be something that happens down the line, but in the interim, uh, it was very, very crucial um, for Fred Hoiberg to keep him on staff here. So there you go, some stability there, and some additional stability uh, will come on the floor as well with the return of Derek Walker, and I saw this pointed out earlier today. Uh, Derek Walker 
has a chance to be the only Husker ever honored on three consecutive senior days. Uh, pretty likely, I think, actually, that this happens. But Derek Walker announces his return for another year at Nebraska. It's a huge, huge boost for the stability of this group on the interior. He's a guy who battled down low uh, with some of the best in the Big Ten this last year. And, again, continuity is pretty important, and Nebraska's going to get some here. I think this is going to be year number six for Derek Walker yes. in college. Um, that's that's pretty awesome. Uh, and he went to, to Sunrise in 2016-17, so that's like, like I don't even know. Um, but it's, I mean, it's, it's huge, right? Like, getting as many of these players back as possible that had big roles, big parts to play um, in how the team's played the last couple of years, it's, I mean, you, you can't even put into words almost like how important bringing someone like Derek Walker back is. Um, with that experience in the front court, he's gone against all of the Big Ten's best big men over the last couple of years. It's go, he's going to be an immeasurable help, um, not only for his presence on the floor, but he's one of those guys that has been identified as a team leader, someone that's been, you know, always on his teammates and holding others accountable and things like that. So anytime you can bring back a real team leader, someone that, I mean, I don't know what the captaincy process is for men's basketball, but, I mean, that's as close to a captain, uh, quote-unquote, as you're going to get uh, with the leadership that he provides. And then in addition, he had a great season last year, of course. Uh, I don't know if he broke the Huskers' all-time field goal percentage record, um, but if he didn't, he came really close. Uh, his touch around the basket improved greatly, um, and he also showed some some newer ability to start taking his defenders off the bounce. Uh, he showed some real strides in his game, uh, and I'm really looking forward to seeing what you know changes he makes as, 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 as he enters next season as, like, no doubt, one of the team's most impactful players. Yeah, I think Bigman is really, really something that's incredibly important in the Big Ten, and I, I think Derek Walker is a very talented one of those, but when you look back on this last year for Nebraska, and yes, the injury to Wilhelm Breidenbach didn't help things. But it felt like, I think, at a lot of times, Nebraska wasn't deep at that position. Mm-mm. And now they go to a position where, you know, and we could see still maybe maybe somebody decides not to come or what what have you. But, you know, you, you could see a pretty deep, deep room there for Nebraska in that front court. Yeah, um, there, there's going to be a lot of faces and a lot of, you know, seasoned uh, seasoned faces as well. Uh, Blaze Keita, who I referred to a little bit earlier, is obviously a really talented player, um, but sometimes it takes a little bit. That junior college to a Big Ten transition is not the easiest in the world to make. Uh, we've seen plenty um, of transfers over the last couple of years here at Nebraska um, struggle with that a little bit because the Big Ten is ultimately a little bit of a different animal and the more seasoned bigs because the Big Ten is ultimately a big man's league the more you know experienced players you can have in your front court that have been around the block that know what it takes them and even though I don't really know I mean Wilhelm only played what two three four if that, yeah, Big Ten roughly. games. Um, but still, I, I mean, don't even know if he played in the Big Ten. He he might have played in the two December games. Yeah, that's um, But that might be all that she wrote there. Um, but even then, like, having someone that was around um, on the roster, involved in preparation, involved in the scouting, and knows just what, it, what all goes into it and what it takes, um, I, I think that... Y- you can't even put that value into like a direct quantity. So yeah, he played in two games. Two. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, that that group is going to be really deep, and it'll be right. interesting to see how Wilhelm Breidenbach grows, 
and you know if how much he can improve an outside game because you're going to have some true interior players right. uh, in there next year. So there you go. There are the Nebraska men's basketball additions and departures. No departures technically this week. Uh, still waiting on Trey McGowan's. Uh, that is the probably the biggest moving right. piece uh, yet to go in terms of player personnel. Um, so, but on the flip side, Nebraska women's basketball, a huge, huge announcement from Sam Hybe, who is going to make her return for Nebraska next year for one final season. And that's huge in so many ways, because this team is going to get another a return of a, uh, someone who has been critical to this team's leadership. Uh, she has been incredibly clutch and she's one of the team's best defenders and guards She's back for another year. Yeah, another absolutely massive return um, is for a Nebraska women's basketball team that's looking to accomplish something similar or perhaps greater um, than what it did a season ago. Uh, getting to the NCAA tournament is obviously a monumentous accomplishment. Um, and returning players like Hybe are going to be a big key um, in making that making that engine go again. Um, so, I mean, obviously she's a great player. Um, she's been around the block of the Big Ten. Similar, a lot of the same things you can say about Derek Walker. You can say about Sam Hybe aside from, of course, Sam Hyde as a guard. Um, but that leadership and that immeasurable you know, clutch scoring presence is going to be a huge, huge um, asset for Amy Williams' squad uh, going into 2022-2023. And you know, as much of that roster as you can keep intact from an NCAA tournament team, um, the better off you'll be heading into next year. So uh, very um, pleased with that decision, uh, and it just means that that team is going to be set up, um, no doubt, to hit the ground running again um, next season, just like it, it, it did you know, this last season as well. Yeah, with some added experience in there from this year's uh, early exit from the NCAA attorney. So next year you'll see Jazz Shelley still on this team. Allison Widener will see a bigger role, you would guess. Uh, of course, Alexis Markowski, Sam Hybe. Uh, when you look down that roster, I, I know you have, I think, Bella Cravens. I think it was Bella Cravens who announced a transfer earlier this uh, this year. It might have been her or Izzy Bourne, so I'd have to check on that. So I apologize for the uncertainty there. Uh, but I think you have one of those two departing, and I departing, and I saw something about that. Bella Cravens. It was Bella Cravens. Yeah. Okay, and that's understandable, too, for Cravens, because you already have Bourne in that backcourt, uh, or rather frontcourt, I'm sorry. Uh, and, then, and then you see, you know, you, you've got pieces that are entering this year from Nebraska from the recruiting class, you know, that are going to cut, you know, Annika Stewart already. Uh, in there as well, and so it's pretty crowded. It was already pretty deep. It still gets a little bit too crowded, I think, for Bella Cravens if she decides to move on. And so that's that's uh, something that I think Nebraska, I, across all sports, you're going to see attrition. So uh, that'll do it for our basketball additions and departures. And now to close out the segment to football-related departures. And here's the first one. We did not get a chance to touch on this last week because the news broke on, I believe, Thursday. Yeah. Uh, And Xavier Betts, no longer a part of the football team, according to Scott Frost. That is part of the spring football news. And so Betts uh, had a meeting with Frost on Friday of last week. We have not heard anything, or Frost and other coaches, uh, about that. Uh, And so there is no additional comment provided at the time and as to why some speculation surrounded uh, being coached too hard by Mickey Joseph, uh, some uh, surrounded academics, or there could be something else even further going on. Of course, that's all speculation there. And again, we don't know anything uh, except that. 
last we knew, he's not a part of the team. There are some that believed, and this is a little bit closer to internal sourcing, but there are some that believe that he could be done with football altogether. Uh, and so we'll have to wait and see on that. But Betts, no longer a part of the football team. Yeah, um, it's interesting that he's still on the roster online, um, so maybe that doesn't rule out a, a potential return at some point down the line. Um, you know, there's been a theme, at least over the last couple of years, with Nebraska's younger receivers in that it's just been really hard for a good portion of them to find any sort of on-field consistency. You know, I don't know what that boils down to at the end of the day, whether that's, you know, something with the positional group. Um, now that's since been overhauled, of course, with the addition of Mickey Joseph to the coaching staff, or whether it's something else completely altogether um, in terms of the, the makeup of guys that are being recruited. Um, but there has been a running theme where, you know, you'll see flashes from guys like Betts, you know, players like Alante uh, Brown, too, um, over the last couple of years, and it's just like hasn't been able to be anything sustained. Um, with that being said, um, the news was was troubling, of course, and a little sad, especially because like when Betts has been on the field, um, he's he's been extremely extremely productive as a you know sort of a gadgety type of Debo Samuel esque um, player you can get out into space, um, make capable of making multiple guys miss and, and breaking away in the open field. Um, has you know a couple of long touchdowns at least off the top of my head. Um, the the flea flicker reverse. Against Penn State comes to mind. Of course, the option touchdown against Northwestern this season. Um, so he's a guy capable of making big plays. And I, I don't know, you know, I, I don't have any sources. Um, but, you know, ultimately it's up to him to make the best decision for him. It would be a bummer because, you know, Nebraska's wide receiver room, especially with, you know, Mickey Joseph's addition to the coaching staff, he's made it clear that there's going to be lots of opportunity. He's a guy that at least when you look at the wide receiver room, as we head into spring, is a guy that could have benefited from that. Um, and now it appears that that's probably not going to be the case. Um, it'll be something interesting to track and see what happens. Um, but for right now, it's definitely a bummer for sure. Yeah, it is. And I think I, I think the first my first thoughts are with him, Bats himself. And, and whatever uh, he's dealing with, whatever he's wrestling with right now, uh, that you know, that, it, that at the end of this, that it comes out, that he comes out better for it. I think that's the best thing, right? Uh, the second thing is from an external perspective, if he does end up leaving the team, you, you know, it's it's disappointing because you would have liked to see what a guy like um, Betts, you know, does combined with Mickey Joseph. Yeah, that's something you would have really liked to see. I think if you look up and down this roster, Omar Manning and Betts, were the two receivers I think fans were the most excited to see get to work with Mickey Joseph. Mm-hmm. And that might not be the case. So we'll see. Again, Bet's still on the roster. I thought we would have heard news by now. Considering that Friday meeting, I thought we would have heard news by now on what he's doing. It's now Wednesday. So we're almost coming up on a week. And so, you know, maybe that indicates to some people that he would be sticking around and deciding to come back. Maybe, um, again, what we know for now is that he's not part of the team. And so that's probably also weighing in as a part of what's going on here, right? Like, in this case, no news means he's still not a part of a team. Um, And so, you know, I don't don't think after announcing, as Coach Frost did, that he's no longer part of the team, that Frost would come out and say again, he's not, he's no longer part of the team. So uh, there's no doubt in my mind that, again, you'll be listening to this on Friday. You'll probably have some more perspective of this uh, because Frost has his 
Thursday press conference. I'm guessing he'll be asked about it. Mm-hmm. Betts finishes uh, if he is done at Nebraska with 32 catches for 417 yards, one touchdown, three carries, 109 yards, and one touchdown along of 83 yards on one of those three carries. Yep. I mean, yeah. Uh, I'm sure by, I mean, Mark Whipple speaking to the media today, Frost on Thursday, we will know. There will be something, um, or nothing maybe, um, but there it will be addressed at, at some point. I can almost guarantee you of that. So uh, here's the final departure. The 2023 football schedule is gone off the website. Oh. Uh, you can still see the non-conference games, but all the Big Ten games for 2023 are no longer there. And you may be thinking to yourself, Grant, why does this matter? Why, why is this important? Because this would indicate this would indicate a change in scheduling method for the Big Ten Conference. And some of this could be tied to the renegotiation of the TV rights deal for the Big Ten, which the Big Ten and the SEC, I don't know if you saw this graphic earlier this week, but the Big Ten and the SEC, in terms of the media rights that they're going to be bringing in, way above almost every other conference. Yeah. I mean, way above the ACC, way above the Big 12 um, and the Pac-12. So, But right now on the website, Colorado, Northern Illinois, and, and Louisiana Tech, that's all you can see up there. So the Big Ten schedule for 2023 is off, which would indicate to me that there's going to be some sort of change there, whether it's to uh, a pods sort of look, uh, change in divisions, maybe no divisions. We're going to find out here pretty soon, I think, though, uh, within the next, obviously within the next year. Uh, but there is uh, there is a departure there that can can draw a little bit further speculation if you are so inclined. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I hadn't noticed that. Um, so now what I'm doing is I'm going, <laughs> I'm just perusing through a couple of other Big Ten schools to yes. see if that's um, like the case. So Iowa does not have, uh, Iowa has their full 2023 schedule up. I'm just checking Illinois I'm looking now. at Michigan State. Uh, Illinois does not have an option to look at 2023. So that, I guess, is notable. Michigan State does not have their Big Ten schedule. So Iowa could be behind the eight ball. Um, that would not surprise me. Uh, so I Ohio State, um, 2022-23, that's – no. We're looking at – Yeah, Michigan, you can't look at 2023. 2023. Yeah, 2022 um, is set. Yeah. Nothing's changing there. Ohio State does – Ohio State has San Jose State, Western Kentucky, and Notre Dame, and that's it. So, yeah, I would definitely think that something is going to be changing. That's like the logical assumption, right? Um, That's fascinating, though. I I did not catch that. So that's going to be definitely something to monitor as, you know, we we reach the the inflection point of this season and – it's going to be start start to be time for timing as it pertains to new media rights, um, and starting to plan the schedule for next year. But yeah, there's going to be wow. a lot that's going to change. I think you know in terms of who gets the streaming rights for the Big Ten, uh, does it stay with Fox? What sort of number does the Big Ten get? You know that that's something that's going to be very interesting. Uh, and then, you know, this added wrinkle here: how does it change the scheduling? And so we're going to find some of that out. So there you go. There's your final departure. There's our additions and departures segment. Uh, for episode 20 of Scarlet Fever, and we may continue this. It depends if we have enough additions and or departures uh, in the following weeks. Coming up next, it's time to talk softball and baseball, and a really, really big weekend for both teams in different directions. And so we'll break that all down for you. Coming up next, this is Scarlet Fever.
Hi, folks. Welcome back. Scarlet Fever, Grant Hansen, and Landon Wirt. Time for our baseball softball breakdown on the weekly here. And we'll begin with softball. And last week, they have their first chance at a ranked opponent in Stanford canceled due to weather on Wednesday. Then they head up to Ann Arbor, Michigan, and uh, pretty successful. Pretty successful weekend for Nebraska. They take two of two. Uh, they did not play the third game due to weather. That was originally going to be played on Saturday, but some snow came in up there. Uh, up north, and they had to cancel that game. That's why the Friday game was a doubleheader. They originally weren't supposed to do it that way, uh, but they they had to shuffle those two games around. Nebraska won them both, three to two over Michigan on Friday, seven to four over Michigan in the second game, and then Creighton yesterday, as we record this on Wednesday, they played Creighton on Tuesday, fifteen to zero in five innings. It was an absolute shellacking. I had that game on BTN Plus. Uh, wild, wild. Yeah. Wild offensive game, and, and it's it's very apropos, really, for how this team has dominated all year long on the offensive end. They're just an absolute juggernaut there. By the way, that's a big wa- reason why they beat Michigan as well. Now the team has 50 home runs this season. Yeah, they rake. I mean, it's funny because I saw a tweet from Chad Mays, former DN News reporter, current OWH fellow, uh, and he tweeted before the game, he's like, wind's blowing out to left. Could have some fireworks. And then sure enough, Nebraska scores six runs in the first bottom of the first inning and really just does not look back and absolutely smashes Creighton. And you're right. I mean, it has been. When Nebraska's been on, the bats have been hot, and it's usually coming behind a dominant pitching performance from Olivia Farrell, which she was dominant again on the mound today, picking up her 12th win of the season and allowing just one hit in five innings. Uh, pretty impressive. And, yeah, I mean, Nebraska was just absolutely awesome. Uh, Cammy Barra had four RBIs. I believe that was a team high it was uh, and a host of others had multiple but I mean the the big story is the home runs Uh, this team continues to attack 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 with the long ball Uh, and it seems like it seems like you know what a game at this point of course Billy Andrews is I still I think leading college softball with 15 17 uh, and 17 yes Um, so she is leading college softball uh, leading the absolute (laughs) onslaught of Mm. of Nebraska softball's offensive attack it's it's been incredible and so second place is Jocelyn All from Oklahoma, number one rated Oklahoma. Ah, uh, yes, yes, and she yes, has yes. fifteen, and then she goes viral about a week or so ago now because she was walked on a three zero because teams would rather pitch around her than pitch to her. Mm-hmm. She tossed the bat aside on the three zero pitch, <laughs> like before the pitch had been delivered. She'd already tossed the bat aside. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, yeah, it's good company for Billy Andrews right now. She's got 17 home runs on the year. The record for a season, by the way, for Nebraska is 22. Ah. Uh, and there are 20 games left. Well, that seems reachable <laughs> as, as, as long as, you know, things don't go haywire. Now, right? you, talk, you talk about the long ball again. Nebraska's got 50 of them this year. They hit three yesterday. And, and again, uh, I think all three of them went to left. And it was more of a crosswind. Uh, it, it would angle over towards that left side from time to time. But, like, the, the thing is, like, when you have that crosswind, and I'm not, like, a geometry whiz here or a physics whiz. Uh, this is actually physics. I remember this now from senior year. But, like, if you're going directly into a crosswind, um, you still get some momentum push from it. It doesn't totally knock it down as if it was coming in. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, basically it's – it's like a parabola 
and you know curving off to the left. So you still get push from the wind. It just goes off to the left side. And again, the Huskers definitely uh, saw that in in, in spades yesterday. Uh, yeah. Just an absolutely dominant performance. And I think the more impressive thing, you know, Nebraska is leading the Big Ten in like seemingly almost every category. Uh, they're not leading in batting average. They're only five thousandths of a point off the lead against Illinois there. Uh, but they were coming up against a team in Creighton that was either first or second in almost every statistical category in the Big East, and they didn't allow a single run and only one hit. Yeah, I mean, that's just super impressive, not only to to beat your in-state rival, but also to just completely dominate like that. Um, just really shows where you know Nebraska is, and it's a team that, I mean, we didn't have a ton of expectations for, um, and they've completely gone through and shattered everything. I mean, the win against Creighton brings Nebraska's record to 22-9 and on the season, which I believe is, yep, yeah, it's exactly how many wins this team had um, through the entirety of last season. Now, the caveat there is that that came uh, against only Big Ten schools. Uh, they played 44 total games, but to reach that number, uh, no matter who it's against, uh, in significantly less time is a momentous accomplishment. And it, you know, shows what this team might be capable of as Big Ten play ramps up. And maybe we can start having those fun conversations about, okay, what are these teams' sort of aspirations postseason? Maybe NCAA tournament, but um, you know, at, with the project, with the trajectory this team is on, something like that is certainly feasible. It has a little bit more business to handle before we can get to that point. But at any rate, reaching 22 wins um, in the fashion that it has thus far is super impressive. 50 home runs—that's nine more than second place in the Big Ten for Nebraska. They lead the league in RBIs as well. That's 18. They have 18 more RBIs in second place, 183. Wow. And you know who's second in RBIs? Rutgers. Yeah. And who's coming to town this weekend. So Nebraska faces off against Rutgers in a three-game series this weekend. The Scarlet Knights, pretty solid. Pretty solid team. And so Nebraska's going to have their hands full again. And it'll be interesting to see if they can keep this momentum going, uh, especially when you get start getting expectations uh, attached from the fan base here. I think there's a blessing and a curse with that as you get more fans involved. It's obviously a lot more fun. You get more people. They're very dedicated here. Uh, and Coach Ronda Ravel has mentioned that several times. But as you start getting that, you also get these expectations that sometimes can be a little bit unfair and sometimes can cause some issues. So it'll be interesting to see how the team reacts to that as they get more outside attention. Yeah, I definitely think that Creighton scoreline is the first of this season, at least for the casual Nebraska softball follower or Nebraska athletics follower, um, to really start turning heads and, and realize that, hey, this this might be a, a team that's worth um, you know, paying attention to significantly down the stretch and, and attending these games and such. Um, it's going to be big. Um, you know, the home opening series uh, against a conference opponent always has a little bit more attached to it. Um, so there probably will be a little bit of, you know, outside influence, outside pressure, especially after such a great game against Creighton. This team has proven capable of being able to respond for, you know, for the most part, um, and, and keep momentum going. I mean, now we're at, uh, you know, a s- seven game win streak now that Nebraska softball is currently on. So, uh, as those things progress, things could generally get a little tighter, but I think playing in front of the home crowd will be definitely an advantage for them. And then after that, to have um, you know s- some time off, 
off after that Rutgers series um, before a weekend tilt in East Lansing against Michigan State. We'll also do the team some good as well. Yeah, no midweek uh, series next week. Uh, this week, Friday, Rutgers 5.30 at Bolin, uh, 1 o'clock. They'll play Rutgers on Saturday and then noon on Sunday. Again, all those games at Bolin Stadium right next to Haymarket Park uh, here in Lincoln, Nebraska. And now, speaking of Haymarket Park, let's shift gears and take our attention to Nebraska baseball. And the Huskers left quite a few runners on base last night, falling 3-2 to two to Creighton. And Nebraska outhit Creighton. Creighton had five errors to one for Nebraska. And the Huskers just could not bring runners home in scoring position. That was really the killer for Nebraska last night. And the Huskers fall to 9-14 and on the year. And another loss that was pretty tight, pretty close. And Nebraska just couldn't quite get it done. I mean, was this not just like a microcosm of Nebraska's entire season up to this point? Um, it had everything. It had um, lots of pitching shuffling, but of course that was due to the fact that Nebraska had very few available arms. Um, there was a lot of lack of timely hitting. Um, I mean, the, the situations are, are endless um, there for you know how many missed opportunities Nebraska had. Um, the errors weren't a big thing. That was actually the flip side. That's the only thing you can say that, that really wasn't a, a thorn in the side. Creighton had five errors to Nebraska's one, but the Huskers just could not take advantage of how many times and opportunities you know Creighton had to leave the door open. And I will say this too, uh, with Nebraska's sort of ragtag um, group of pitchers, uh, they, they deserve a lot of credit. Um, especially keeping, you know, holding Creighton to three runs. Um, you should be, you know, giving your your club lots of opportunities, uh, plenty of opportunities should to win, um, but at least, at the very least, compete. Um, but, yeah, just, yeah, I don't even know. It's just, it's fitting, I guess, for where this team is at right now that it had all of these opportunities and just could not. Nebraska out hit Creighton 8-5 to five, uh, overall. And then with runners on, Nebraska was 3-for-16 in the game. 2-of-15 with runners in scoring position. And then they left 8 runners on base to Creighton's 6. Uh, so Nebraska, you know, it just in about every way, uh, struggled. And so when you look down these stats... That's got to be the thing where you got runners on base, going to bring them home. And, and so that ultimately doomed Nebraska. There are some positives to look in that game. Jackson Jelkin, he does take the loss, but he's a guy who was a late addition uh, compared to some of the other freshman pitchers that have been brought in on this staff. And surprisingly enough, he's really been the most productive. C.J. Hood's had some good outings, but you know you look at a total flip side where you thought, eh, Jackson Jelkin, maybe he's a bit of a project. Drew Christo's going to be the star of this class. It's kind of been the other way around here early on, uh, and where Jelkin could be competing you know, for a role as a starting pitcher somewhere down the line, and certainly he's a reliever this group likes. Uh, Jackson Brockett, uh, kind of the same sort of thing. He was a guy that uh, we got to see last night uh, for Nebraska, and you know he he's a guy that could somewhere down the line provide some boost for Nebraska. There's a guy he's, he's a guy he really they really like as a coaching staff, but they didn't want to use him this early. But you know, with the issues and the injuries to Jake Buns and others, uh, he's been called on earlier than I think the coaching staff wanted to. And, and 
for the most part, he's done fairly well. Three strikeouts last night for Brockett. Jelkin with two and two and two-thirds innings pitched. Yeah, I mean, who would have thought that Jackson Jelkin, I know the appearances are a little bit lesser than you know the starters, of course, but Jackson Jelkin tied for the, the team, team best ERA of 2.79. Uh, pretty impressive. Um, through 9.2 innings pitched, I guess is the caveat there. But still, uh, the young arms are looking pretty good, and you know maybe if you know this season continues to progress in, in a negative manner, that might be just one of the takeaways in trying to develop some of those younger arms and get them ready for you know the upcoming season, I guess. Um, and, and that's what I think it is. They're still. I think you're yeah. on the right track there. Yeah, there. I mean, there's still lots to play for, of course, and you know, Nebraska's plenty capable of you know f- turning this season around completely, and you know, turning that nine and fourteen record into you know a couple games over five hundred, maybe more. Um, there will be lots of opportunities to do that. Um, but for right now, I mean, you know, it's it's nice to see the younger arms coming along, especially as Nebraska progresses in Big Ten play, and the stakes, uh, you know, continue to be ever raised. Um, having young arms that you can rely on that are seasoned that have already pitched in the big moments uh, is undoubtedly a good thing. Well, uh, you think about <clears throat> this team, two-thirds of that batting order are underclassmen. The leading hitter for Nebraska right now, 358, Garrett Anglum, he's a freshman. He's a redshirt freshman. Uh, the majority of the pitchers Nebraska used last night, Brockett, Emmett Olson, who's a sophomore, uh, Jackson Jelkin, those are all underclassmen. So I think that's something people, I think people you know, externally right now on the message boards uh, and on Twitter, are looking at things very, very negatively. And I don't know if that's entirely fair to this group because I don't think people realize how young it really is. Uh, And I I think people forget how young Maxie Anderson is and how young Bryce Matthews is because of how they contributed a year ago. People need to remember these two guys are sophomores. And granted, I think you know some of the issues that Matthews has had with errors this year have been a little bit surprising, but he's switching from second base to shortstop. There's an adjustment period there, I think. Same kind of thing a little bit with Max Anderson. You don't have the positional switch, so maybe those things are a little bit more, his errors are a little bit more disturbing. Uh, but you look top to bottom, this team is just littered with underclassmen. There's a lot of things to like. Core Jackson is somebody there's, that sh- has shown a lot of really good things recently. Luke Jessen is another freshman who's shown a lot of good things recently. So I think there needs to be an added level of patience. Um, you know, and, and, I, and I don't think Coach Bolt would necessarily identify with that statement. I think he wants consistency and, and to win. He's incredibly competitive. But I think externally from fans, there's got to be an added level of patience and consideration for how young this group is. Right. And, you know, that's one of the things, like, when, you know, thinking like, oh, you know, they, they've, there are some pieces back from, from last season's team, a couple of key pieces. Why can't this team, you know, why shouldn't this team be able to compete for, you know, what, all that it accomplished last year? And you, you kind of have to st- take a step back, and I think we kind of figured this out pretty early on in the season. You have to take a step back and, and really analyze what was lost. I mean, a couple of key, key pieces in the batting order that you could pretty much consistently rely on when you needed a hit to get a hit, uh, needed a home run maybe, or to find the gap. Um, you had players capable of doing so, and, and lockdown arms on the mound too. Um, so... I mean, yeah, it's a bunch of underclassmen. It's a bunch of younger guys. You're going to go through these growing pains, and and that's really what we're seeing right now. It's it's a team that's really, you know, chugging along. It's going to have some good moments. It's probably also going to have, as we've seen, it's going to lose 21 to four to Texas A&M Corpus Christi. Like these are the things when you have a young, 
unseasoned roster, um, stuff like that's just going to happen. And, you know, th- there will be a time in the season, and, and we saw it a little bit early on uh, just a couple weeks ago in mid-March when the team hit a little bit of a stride and had that four-game winning streak. It'll happen. There will prob- there will be some great moments. There will probably also be a lot of not great moments. But I think that, I mean, especially now, if you if you aren't able to see it through 23 games, you just aren't going to see it. Uh, this is a younger team. and It's going to need to be, um, you know, you're going to need to take that time a little bit. Uh, you know, in, in analyzing their performances and just understand that this is a young team, it's going to be inconsistent. Those growing pains are going to persist probably through a good portion of the season. So there you go. Nebraska 9 and 14 coming off a 3 to 2 loss to Creighton on Tuesday night. They will head to Ohio State this weekend. All three games are on Big Ten Plus. Watcher beware. Ohio State, if I remember correctly, does not have the greatest Big Ten Plus stream. Uh, so good luck. <laughs> Uh, I will be watching along with you and praying for the best. Uh, They will play at 5.05 on Friday, 2.05 on Saturday, and 12.05 on Sunday. Three-game series out against the Buckeyes in Columbus. Good opportunity there, by the way. Ohio State is just 8-12 on the season. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think as we close... Uh, good opportunity to regain some momentum, try to yeah. get some footing back. Uh, you thought you had a spark when you pick off Michigan 13-9 on Friday despite surrendering five home runs. Then you lose on Saturday close despite a rally. And then you lose on Sunday and you weren't totally very competitive there in that game. So, uh, And then you had the Creighton loss in there too. So a chance to regain some momentum for Nebraska against Ohio State. Coming up next, we'll discuss the Final Four of the NCAA Tourney and we'll wrap up the show with our predictions for this week in college basketball. This is Scarlet Fever. Scarlet Fever, final segment of episode number 20, Grant Hansen and Landon worked, and we're going to wrap the show up with a little fun, a little fun time here with uh, <laughs> our final four predictions, and it's interesting, there's been a little bit of debate this week, I think, you know, a lot of people in the college football world were pointing at this and saying, look, see the Blue Buds, the Blue Bloods, They're, they all made it in college basketball to the final four, we don't need to expand the playoff, and... Everybody in college basketball looks and laughs, scoffs at them. Yeah, I will scoff um, because this never happens, like, ever. This is a completely unprecedented Final Four. Um, North Carolina was an eight seed, right? North Carolina was on the tournament bubble um, until basically it beat Duke at Cameron Endor and then has since just gone on an absolute tear. Um, Kansas benefited a bit from a a draw uh, that favored them, no Iowa, it had to play, no Wisconsin, no Auburn. Um, the best team it's played so far was Providence. Uh, Villanova, legit run there. Uh, Villanova had to take out a hot Michigan team. It took out uh, a Houston squad that is among the best teams in college basketball. But, I mean, you just never see the cards align like this for these, you know, titanic historic programs in college basketball to meet. Whereas in college football, Alabama's in the playoff every year, and Clemson's in the playoff most every year. Um, so, yeah. And, and I think something someone explained, like, we love to see the St. Peters. Yeah. Like, we do love those, but we love those in the earlier rounds. We love the chaos of the earlier rounds. And then I think more often than not, most people are looking for the Titans, you know, to meet in those final four games. And sometimes we get it, sometimes we don't. You know, this is usually, like you said, unprecedented. I think there's usually one or two teams in here that are really, really solid, that are like these Dukes, these North Carolinas, uh, that those kind of level programs. But there's usually two outsiders as well, Texas Tech 
Uh, you think back to Tech winning a few years back, that was kind of a similar thing. So, you know, the unexpected is, I think, what people like. I think people like seeing those upsets in the first round and second round. And if they don't happen into the final four, that's okay. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that's how most people would look at it, college football if they expanded a little bit further. Uh, but time to look at the final four. And, by the way, I mentioned earlier, Blue Bloods, literally all Blue Bloods, like literally. <laughs> yeah. uh, everybody's a different shade of blue in this one. So on the left side, Duke and North Carolina meeting for the first time in NCAA attorney history. Uh, wild stat, but also one that everybody talks about way too much. And then... Uh, um, on the other side, Villanova and Kansas. So a couple of really, really solid games we're going to get here. Uh, a lot of people think Duke's going to win this thing. Kind of a trendy pick. Wouldn't shock me if they did. Going to be honest, I like Kansas. Yeah, that's I mean, that's that's not a bad pick. As a Kansas basketball hater, I cannot endorse, but what I will say about Kansas is that second half against Miami like really opened my eyes because I mean you can sit here and say, as I just did, that Kansas has had probably a little bit of the, the easiest straw to go through. It hasn't had to really tackle any of the big dogs in its region. But Miami, to its credit, took down Auburn, it took down Iowa State, who beat Wisconsin. Uh so I mean there was a case to be argued that Miami was among one of of the hotter teams in college basketball, and Miami played like it for the first half. It really had control of that game against Kansas, up six, I believe it was, at halftime, and then, who boy, that script flipped in an mm. instant. Uh, Kansas just started smothering Miami defensively. Uh, it really started to expose that five-out system that Jim Laranega ran. Uh, Miami's big got into foul trouble, and as a result, David McCormick, Mitch Lightfoot, and friends were able to eat on the inside. And then Ochai Abaji took the game over. Uh, Kansas is deep. Uh, I've had questions about the ways that Bill Self has managed that lineup all season. I love me some Remy Martin. I think that there probably should have been more Remy Martin this season. Um, And it also has the benefit of a plus matchup with a Villanova team that just lost Justin Moore, uh, which is a huge addition to Jay Wright's, uh, a huge depletion to a Jay Wright team that doesn't play very many players as it is. Um, So Villanova's depth is going to be tested against a Kansas team that is unquestionably deeper. Um, My question heading heading into that matchup is what Villanova does do is that it's a great defensive team. So uh, is Kansas going to be able to break that down, um, it's going to be a great game. Uh, both these games are going to be great. Um, I'm also not going to pick Duke because I want to be a contrarian, and I think it would be fun to see a North Carolina-Villanova championship game rematch. So that is what I will root for, and I, I'm i going to back Villanova. Uh, I really like Jay Wright. I think he's the best coach in college basketball. I love his Villanova teams. They really embody his identity. They're physical. They're really gritty. They're great defensively. Um the way they just kind of sucked the life out of Houston for 40 minutes was really incredible to watch. I think that they will be able to deploy similar results against Kansas. Um, Ochai Abaji was great against Miami, but he hasn't really been on this tournament. So I'm really looking at that game. I think that Villanova can win. I really want North Carolina to win, and we can talk about that game in a second, but I just don't know if they could beat Duke. And I... And yeah, preparing that, myself the for the inevitable reality of Coach K cutting down the nets, and it's making me sad. Yeah, the, so the Kansas-Villanova game, I think I've got Kansas uh, in that one. Villanova, there's a lot to overcome. And look, you know, 
Coach K is really like this black hole that is like sucking up all the coverage right now. <laughs> yeah. But really, every one of these four teams has something pretty serious to play for. Yeah. Like if you look at Villanova on this side, Justin Moore, they're going to be playing for him. He tore his Achilles uh, in that win against Houston. And, you know, Kevin Durant reaches it, reached out to Justin Moore a lot this week. So Villanova is going to be playing for him. On the flip side, Kansas, people forget that Bill Self lost his dad this year. Yeah. Um, and, and so there's that side of the motivation that, you know, isn't receiving a whole lot of coverage. Hubert Davis for North Carolina is trying to establish himself in this, that, you know, pantheon of, of famous ACC coaches. And he's trying to get his, you know, his first big hit. Uh, and so that's what he's playing for, and although or coaching for rather, and of course he would never say that, but I think that's something that he's trying to establish as a competitor. Um, and his players is, I think, who he wants it for more than anything. And then of course you have Duke. And so, look, I think I think Kansas takes down Villanova. I think without Justin Moore, it's just too much to overcome. I, th- I think Kansas is incredibly talented, and uh, I think the Jayhawks advance to the title game there. On the flip side, North Carolina and Duke. Look, this is an area where I think I would love to be wrong. Because I hate Duke, uh, and I will always hate Duke, uh, but I just don't. I think this is where North Carolina's run ends. I think yeah. it, I think it ends here against Duke, and it sets up a really interesting, you know, Duke Kansas title game. But you know, in the end, I just I just don't know if North Carolina has enough left in the tank to win it. Yeah, and that's certainly man and, and and understandable too. I mean, North Carolina is white hot and I've had my questions about Duke specifically defensively, but man, I mean, Duke's the talent that Duke has on the floor is second to none right now in college basketball, I think, and also both in this final four. I mean, Mark Williams is putting together an all-time tournament run at, at center. You've got Paulo Bonchero, of course, who is incredible. AJ Griffin is a great outside knockdown shooter. You've had guys like Wendell Moore, Jeremy Roach both stepping up. I mean, Duke, when Duke is clicking, it's very hard to beat Duke. Um, the reason why I like North Carolina as much as I do is I think North Carolina's guards are really coming on. Uh, R.J. Davis and Caleb Love. Caleb Love was great against UCLA in the Sweet 16, uh, shot after shot down the stretch. I'm a big Brady Manick fan. He's terrorized me for years uh, while he was at Oklahoma. Uh, I'm glad that he's getting his opportunity to shine with the heels. Uh, it's going to be. I think both these games are going to be really close. I, I think that the the point spreads for both are right around four. So I'm really hoping we get two good games. To be a contrarian, I'm going to pick um, Villanova and North Carolina in both. But in reality, I'm preparing myself for the cruel, cruel world of, of Duke cutting down the nets in a rematch against Kansas because narratives. Duke won its first national championship over Kansas back whenever Coach K won his first. So I'm inevitably preparing myself for that. But I will be rooting for both underdogs. Well, uh, your title game is North Carolina-Villanova. My title game is Duke-Kansas. I think, look, if there's any team in this tourney in this field that has enough talent to face Duke, it's Kansas. Yeah. Uh, you know, Justin Brown, fantastic. I mean, just fantastic shooter. Uh, Abaji, Remy Martin, it's all over the place there. Yeah. Um, and so, um, look, I-, I think they outlast Duke. In that area, um, but you know it's it's going to be a really Christian. Sorry, Christian Brown. Um, I noticed, yeah, yeah. So sorry about that, Christian Brown, not Justin Brown. Uh, but I, I think in the end, Kansas comes out on top of Duke in a really, really close title game that that's going to be pretty fun to watch. 
that will make me so sad. Again, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know who I would. I've been spending time like, who would I even root for between Kansas and Duke? Like, do I just like go all in on the evil? Imp- I think I would. I would be. I would. I would root for Duke in a, in a national. I know. I know. That is how much I like. Cannot stand. Um, I, I can't. I can't let it happen. I will. I would rather feed into the narratives than let than let Kansas do this to me. So I do agree. What I'm hoping for though is just two really good games. Um, throughout this tournament, we've seen a stark lack. We've seen a few overtime games. A couple games go down to the wire, but we haven't had that classic buzzer beater moment yet. And I'm really, really hoping that we get that during the final four, um, because that, of course, is what makes a March Madness tournament so great. Um, when games are literally like decided the, yeah, on the, the Suggs one from last year yeah exactly yeah. like like so give me give me something like that in the final four um please that is my own that is my lone request i do not care what the, the championship matchup is as long as we get something fun like that per espn stats and info north carolina six national titles duke five national titles kansas three national titles villanova three national titles it's the first time in ncaa history that each final four team enters with multiple championships. And so this is a Blue Blood Final Four to end all Blue Blood Final Fours. Yeah. It's going to be a really exciting weekend ahead. And so I've got Kansas. Landon's kind of got Duke. I've got I've got Villanova, but I'm preparing myself for the inevitable reality of Duke. And there it is. And so that'll do it for us here on Scarlet Fever. So glad you joined us. We talked additions, departures, softball, baseball. And we wrapped it up here with the final four we'll be back with you next week and again this is a dn podcast at dn sports and at daily neb on twitter follow uh, along with all the coverage from the dn at daily he's landon wirt at l-a-n-d-o-n-w-i-r-t on twitter for me it is at hansen h-a-n-s-e-n 15 underscore hansen we'll be back next week on scarlet fever